yeah, because those figures are February figures. Um, so, you know, actually the invasion of Ukraine took place on about the 25th of February, I think it was. So, so yeah, you haven't got much of that in the figures. And interestingly, uh, what hasn't really, I don't think, had enough attention and focus this week is... Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Welcome to this week's Week in Review at Fortune and Freedom. I'm Rob Marstrand. I'm filling in for Nick Hubble again this week. He was meant to be with us, but unfortunately was detained. Um, but I am, of course, joined by Nigel Farage, as usual. Hello, Nigel. How are you? Hello. I hope Nick's not been forcibly detained. Uh, but, uh, yeah. No, well, it's a big week, isn't it? I mean, we got rid of the spring budget, the sort of Timed, always tied with the Cheltenham Horse Race Festival. Um, and we now have an autumn budget, but it kind of felt that given the magnitude of economics at the moment, that what Rishi Sunak did this week was actually akin to a budget, really. It did feel that way. But um, just before we jump into the bit more detail on that, I thought it would be a good idea to remind people of where we are with the inflation story, which is something we've talked about in Fortunately Freedom and the publication I usually work on, UK Independent Wealth. So the consumer prices index at, uh, in the year to February was 6.2%. The older fashioned retail prices index, which the politicians don't like because it tends to be higher than CPI, was a staggering 8.2%. This was presumably before the effects of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the sending all the commodity uh, yes. markets haywire. So um, we're in quite an inflationary environment, aren't we, Nigel? Yeah, because those figures are February figures. Um, so, you know, actually the invasion of Ukraine took place on about the 25th of February, I think it was. So, so yeah, you haven't got much of that in the figures. And interestingly, uh, what hasn't really, I don't think, had enough attention and focus this week is Vladimir Putin saying to what he calls unfriendly states, you can go on buying our gas and buying our oil, but you must do it in rubles. And that's led to a mad scramble where else could we buy our gas because we don't want to buy the ruble um, and prop up the Russian currency at this moment in time. Uh, and so natural gas prices are up another 20% this week, something that I think has been missed by many commentators. One other little thing to add that will interest people. Uh, do you remember 20 years ago, the Labour government told us, buy diesel cars, they're good for the environment. And of course, government always knows best. I mean, that's obvious. Uh, now we're told, uh, that diesel cars will be the end of human civilization if we continue. Yet, there are 18.9 million diesel cars on British roads. Now, you may have noticed, folks, that the disparity between the cost of unleaded and diesel has gone from five or six P a litre to 15 P a litre in many, many, I mean, 10 minimum, 20 is the biggest that I've seen in this part of Kent. 20% of the diesel that we use in this country comes directly from you guessed it, Russia. But actually, because of transshipment through Rotterdam, it's quite possible that figure's nearer 40%. Why do we not refine our own diesel in the United Kingdom? Well, I'll tell you why. Because of carbon flaws, excessive energy prices, we've basically exported nearly all of our refining industry to other parts of the world. So we now face a real problem. Uh, and I've been talking about this on GB News for the last week. Interestingly, the Financial Times had a global commodities conference in Switzerland this week, and the boss of Vitol and the other biggest oil traders in the world said publicly, openly, there will be a shortage of diesel next year. We could even see rationing. So whichever way you cut this, 
British government energy policy, and this goes through successive governments, but has been even worse under the Conservatives than it was under Labour, uh, is, is taking us to a place that is potentially far worse than we are right now. So I'm, I'm giving a real red light warning. I'm the owner of two diesel cars. I'm, by the way, I'm not saying go to the forecourt and fill up this afternoon, uh, but I am saying that actually, if the government sanctions on Russia, which are to end buying Russian oil and oil products at the end of this year, if they're put into effect, we've got a massive problem. So you know what will happen? The sanctions that we put on and, and, and the, the promises the government have made won't be met. Yeah, well, maybe I'll just add to that. Of course, we shouldn't forget that all the delivery lorries and most of the vans still run on diesel. And, and so moving stuff happy. around the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Moving Absolutely. stuff around the country, exports, imports, all the rest of it, they're going to need diesel. So it could be a big problem. Let alone red diesel, which, of course, was the diesel with a much lower tax. Now, uh, the maritime industry have been, have been exempted from the increase. The farming, most of the farming community, have been exempted, but from the 1st of April, there's going to be a 38% tax rise on red diesel. That will affect every building um, construction site, every road building site. Uh, and so once again, you, you, you know, you're into energy prices going up more and more and more. And even you know, the 5p cut on fuel duty is completely blown away by the 7p increase on VAT since petrol and diesel prices started to rise. So we look at your figures, Robert, 6.2 and 8.2. Uh, we acknowledge the fact that Ukraine's not in those numbers. Um, and you have to say, you know, rationally and coolly, the double digit inflation is just around the corner. And maybe um, it's worth reminding ourselves also that with all the calls from certain corners of the political spectrum, uh, for calling for windfall taxes on oil and gas companies, it's worth reminding ourselves that roughly half the cost of a litre of fuel is actually tax. So the fuel duty and the VAT. Yeah, so the, government, the government makes an awful lot more money out of this than the oil companies do, trust me. Um, yeah, and, and, so and, and, and the windfall taxes are all wrong. Actually, what government, should, what government should be doing to these big companies, who, by the way, lost a fortune last year, but they're making more than that in profits this year and perhaps for the foreseeable future, what we should be doing is encouraging them and saying to them, reinvest X percent of your profits or we'll consider putting a big tax on. Do you see what I mean? It's, 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 it's the carrot and the stick, because surely now is the time to reinvest in the North Sea. Now is the time to up the amount of oil and gas we're producing from the North Sea. There has not been a single new investment in the North Sea for over three years. And yet, there are vast resources still there. And at these prices, potentially very profitable too. Yeah, it's difficult to disagree with any of that. So um, I think we're on the same page. Um, of course, the other big news this week was the spring statement, uh, Rishi Sunak's mini budget, if you like. So what observations do you have coming out of that? Uh, I, I'm not even sure Rishi Sunak gets the real impact that the cost of living crisis is going to have on many, many millions of families, and not just not just put, not just the poor, but I mean those in the middle are going to find themselves squeezed very considerably. Um, the, the the loss of freely available spending money is going to have quite a big impact, in my view, in the retail sectors, in the pub sector, in the restaurant. Because you know, these are the things we spend. These this is what we spend our spare money on. Um, so I don't think the Chancellor really gets that. 
Uh, we can't blame it all on him, obviously, uh, because you know there are global events. But you know, UK monetary policy has been leading us towards a direction where inflation became an inevitability, and we've thought that here for a very, very long time and predicted it, I think, pretty accurately. So I don't think he really gets that. The other thing that really is interesting and, and not much commented on is the situation with businesses. There was nothing in this budget, I, I say budget spring statement, but you know what I mean. There was nothing for entrepreneurship, nothing. There was nothing for new investment uh, in, in British business. Uh, and there was nothing at all for growth, nothing. We're just happy to accept that the 6% forecast for growth has been downgraded for this year to 3.8%. And heading out to 2024, we're predicting growth of 1.2%. I mean, it's utterly anemic. It's dreadful. And the tax burden on business is changing rapidly. Now, we know that for all of us, it's the highest tax burden since Clement Attlee was in power. All right. Have a look at it for businesses. Really interesting. So the proposed increases to corporation taxes on business, no change whatsoever. If you look at the Office of Budget Responsibility forecasts for revenues from businesses, and that comes from rates, it comes from, uh, it comes from corporation tax, also comes from capital gains tax, all right? The OBR estimate that government income from businesses in those taxes between now and 2027 will go up by, wait for it, 50%. 50%. In fact, actually, it's nearer 60 to be honest with you. But I always prefer to underclub rather than be criticised for going over the top. So government's anticipating taking vastly tens and tens and tens of more billions from businesses over the next five years. Well, that may be good for the national finances. I mean, it may be necessary, given that the interest repayment bill this year is going to be 83 billion. You know, a year ago, our annual interest on national debt was the same as the defence budget. It's now almost double. the Well, not quite, but it's, it, it's getting on for double what our defence budget is at a time when the world is in, in such an unsure place. So I guess it. But my worry is if the perception is that the UK has turned in the space of a few years from a cheap, competitive place in terms of taxes to do business to being quite an expensive one, uh, that is not good for foreign direct investment. It's not good for domestic investment either. So I think, you know, the biggest disappointment of the budget looking ahead for the whole shape of the economy in terms of the kind of growth that we're going to need to get ourselves out, to get ourselves out of this debt mess is there was it really for business, there was nothing. And I, I, I was with um, Sir Martin Sorrell last night. You know, he, the great guru of global advertising and, a, and, and somebody who's naturally inclined much more towards a conservative position than a Labour position. Um, I asked him, you know, marks out of 10 for Rishi's budget. And he said, well, it's good that national insurance thresholds have come into line with income tax. That's the kind of simplification we need. You know, it's nice to promise a penny off income tax, uh, you know, at the time of the next general election. Uh, but in terms of what it means for business, he gave it a pretty miserable four out of 10. Worth thinking about. Yeah, well, it's worth remembering also that, that corporate taxes are just a cost of doing business and the businesses that can will have to increase their prices further to cover that extra cost. So it will hit ordinary people in the pocket. Yeah, and um, we're, we are sounding a bit gloomy, but, um, you know, that's where we are. Uh, you know, we are facing some quite difficult economic times. Uh, we're facing inflationary times where cash at the bank just erodes at the most horrendous rate. 
Um, and, and clearly, you know, our job is to try and find sensible ways through that. Yeah. And, um, well, we've, we're just about a month into the war in Ukraine. So just wonder what your read is on what's going on there, because there's been all sorts of, you know, threats of nuclear weapons and, and chemical weapons, all sorts of things. How do you think things are going there? Never believe anything. Never believe anything that comes out from the Russian government or the Ukrainian government unless it really is properly and thoroughly verified. You know, both sides are playing that game. Of course they are. They always do. Um, what is clear is that Russian troops have a huge morale problem. Estimates now that up, somewhere between 30 and 40,000 Russian troops have been lost. And that's through capture, surrender, death, uh, wounding, maiming. Uh, so if you think about it, we are about 30% of the invading force aren't there anymore. That's a big number. I mean, that actually is a big number. Seven to eight generals, uh, Russian generals now being killed. Um, and isn't it interesting, the British now announcing they're going to send a further 6,000 missiles. So whatever my criticisms of Boris Johnson, you know, on this particular policy where he said he was going to do it, we really are doing it. Funny, isn't it? The Germans who promised lots of weapons, haven't delivered anything yet that I can see apart from 5,000 helmets. Um, and, and where do we end? I do think a peace deal is possible. I still believe a peace deal is possible. I think the, finally the acceptance that Ukraine should not join NATO, some of us have been saying this for rather a long time, um, but that acceptance is the basis for the beginning of talks. Uh, the difficulty for Ukraine is they will have to accept that in those two eastern provinces, there are referendums of some kind uh, where the people can decide what they do. And there's a very strong chance they'll vote to be with Russia rather than be controlled from Kiev. Um, so that's difficult. That's difficult. And Crimea, frankly, is, off, is just off the table. I mean, that's not even part of it. So I do see the basis for peace along those lines. Uh, there's a big NATO summit this week. Uh, the, Amer the Americans are now beginning really seriously to pour troops into Poland. And it's been interesting, uh, despite the weakness of Biden, and despite the loss of collective respect for the Americans after the Afghanistan withdrawal, which of course was done without reference to anybody. Interesting that NATO actually is pulling together and working. Uh, and and, and that, that clearly is happening. Um, whereas, you know, any concept of European defence, frankly, um, is being shown to be a little bit of a joke. So is this going to conflagrate into World War Three? No, I don't think it is. Um, but could we get to the next horrible stage, you know, where more cities become like Mariupol, and where perhaps there is some use of chemical weapons? That's the real fear. And what does NATO do in response to the use of chemical weapons? The famous Obama red line in Syria, which came and went. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Um, if a peace deal isn't achieved that, then we're going to have some kind of war that goes on a bit like Afghanistan did for the Russians all those years ago. Well, thank you for that, Nigel. I'm sorry we can't bring everyone more happy news, but we have to tell it how it is. Um, until next time, thank you again. Thank you.